Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. Welcome to Star Wars Bookworms, the show where we discuss and review all the new Star Wars releases from Dark Horse Comics and Delray Books. I'm your host, Teresa Delgado, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Aaron Goins. Hey, Teresa. Hi. <laughs> I have so, to I have to apologize to the listeners before we get started because I'm recovering from a cold, so my voice might sound might be a little bit hard to hear. But I'll try to speak up, and we'll we'll try to to still record this tonight. Yeah, I think you'll be okay. All right. We'll you're talking to a minimum. All right. So tonight, today we have a guest um, from Roku Depot. Her name is Gerilyn Bray. Gerilyn, how are you? I'm fine. Hi, everybody. Um, we're very excited to have her on the show. We're going to go into an interview with her a little bit about all the stuff that she likes when it comes to the EU and Star Wars. But we wanted to let you know a couple things. First, we're going to have two shows for you this month um, due to having a novel and two comics. So we're going to split those in half. And on this show, we'll be discussing Star Wars Crucible. And on our next show, we'll be discussing the comics. And as always, we want to put out our spoiler policy right now. We typically wait at least a month after a release date to review a book or a comic. So if we're reviewing it, um, expect full spoilers. We're going to talk about everything there is to talk about. So if you haven't read Star Wars Crucible, then I recommend not listening to this episode right now. Go pick up the book, read it, and then listen. So tonight on the uh, podcast, we have... Uh, Gerilyn Bray from Roku Depot. And Roku Depot is a really cool Star Wars website. And I guess I can let Gerilyn tell us a little bit more about it. So exactly what is Roku Depot and uh, how are you involved in it? Roku Depot, it's primarily a book and comic review site plus interviews. But we do do some more pertinent news Um but, yeah, mostly it's it's uh, reviews and interviews. Cool. And uh, how long have you been a part of it? Well, Skuldrin and I created it. So it's been going on for a few years now. And um, so I've been with it since the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into Star Wars. Well, I'm an original fan from 77. I saw the movie um, at Grauman's in Hollywood and absolutely fell in love. Um, I had grown up on sci-fi, you know, the classics like The Day the Earth Stood Still and uh, The Thing and stuff like that. And when I sat in the theater and I saw Star Wars, I felt like this was the science fiction movie I'd waited my entire life to see. And it just uh, had everything for me. And then three years later, I was waiting in line. The first week Empire Strikes Back came out, and I saw it twice in the first week. So, yeah, I was pretty hooked. That's awesome. So you were basically ground zero with Star Wars fandom. Yeah. Exactly. Now, now I was I read Splinter of the Mind's Eye, and it wasn't one of my favorites, and that put me off books for 
quite a while, but then I discovered the newer the books that came later, so I was completely hooked again. Awesome. Do you have a favorite era for the EU? Well, I always like uh, whatever era Luke is in, but I really love Dawn of the Jedi, and I've also really liked the whole Legacy and Legacy 2 era. So I'd say probably those three eras are kind of equal for me as favorites. So in general, I know a lot of fans have not necessarily been happy with the direction of this expanded universe kind of after the New Jedi Order. Uh, but you said that that's kind of the legacy era is kind of one of your favorites. So are you generally pretty happy with the direction that they've taken the characters? Well, let me put it this way. Um, the more recent stuff they've done the best that they could with what they had to work with. I was, I am not a fan of legacy of the force at all that series. Um, but I think with, uh, fate of the Jedi, they kind of band-aided it as well as they could. And I did like the direction of some of the characters such as Jaina and Ben. Um, so I guess that's about what I'd have to say for what's going on. I've always liked Luke's growth because he just seems to get better and better. Uh, and, and very much the Jedi master, the older he gets. Yeah. I always say Luke Skywalker is so much cooler in the EU than he is in the movies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I would have I think, to agree with that. I think that there's been some instances of character derailment with him, but I think it's always gotten back on track and just been very good overall. So do you have a favorite novel? Hmm. Well, if I could only pick one novel out of the entire EU, it would have to be Matt Stover's Revenge of the Sith novelization. Oh, cool. So how about I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a twist at you. So that's a movie novelization. How about a non-movie novelization? Um, it's usually the last book I've read. <laughs> um, so possible uh, since you just read that this weekend. I'm just kidding. Well, read it again this weekend. Um, uh, yeah, Crucible's quite a ways up there. Uh, I know it's not coming out until next week, but I absolutely loved Kenobi. And uh, it's really hard to say there's just one novel that's my favorite because there's so many that I kind of consider equal in how much I like them. Well, that's fair. But do you have a least favorite novel? Oh, yeah, Revelation by Karen Travis in uh, Legacy of the Force. Absolutely can't stand that novel. (laughs) Nice. So are you, a, are you a fan of, like, uh, other things in the Star Wars universe other than the, the books and the movies? Uh, do you get into the comics at all, or were you a fan of the Clone Wars TV series? I loved the Clone Wars TV series. Um, yeah, I review comics. I'm actually reviewing the new Legacy 2 series um, and the new Star Wars series. I review that with Skuldron. I'm going to be doing 
by um, by myself the Star Wars that new comic that's coming out from you know George Lucas's old notes yeah where everybody was different than what they ended up being yeah I'm really so, looking forward to that one yeah I uh, th- yeah there's a lot of the comics uh, that I like quite a bit um, so about the only thing I don't do with Star Wars is game. I've never done any of the games. I'm not a gamer, so well, I've always kind of wished they'd write a coder novel or series that's exactly from the game, so I could that story could be really be enjoyed by people who don't game. Kind of like they did with um, Force Unleashed. Uh, yeah, exactly. I really like the Force Unleashed books, and I even played the games, and I still read the books, and I liked them, so. Well, and I, you know, I have three sons, and they game, and I had actually given one of them the Force Unleashed for their birthday, and so they said, oh, Mom, you got to come watch this, and they'd show me all this stuff, so I, I got a much better idea of the story. Gerilyn, I'm really curious, because you are a big Star Wars Expanded Universe fan, what are your thoughts on the new movies coming out, and where do you stand as far as what direction would you like to see the Expanded Universe go from here on? I'm very uh, excited about a new trilogy coming out. As far as where it's going to go, what the most I expect is that we may get nods to the EU in the way that the Clone Wars did nods to the EU, but not to expect anything lifted in detail. Uh, I guess a good example would be Asajj Ventress and how they took her, and she's basically had her same personality, but they totally changed her story in regards to her being a night sister and, you know, some of the other things. Um, that's kind of what I, that's kind of my thinking, which is also kind of uh, self-protection so that I'm not setting myself up for disappointment and such as, oh, I really want Mara in this and I want her to be Luke's wife. And so I'm keeping my expectations in check so that I can walk in and and enjoy the movie on its own no matter what it presents us. Um, if they reboot the EU, uh, I'm okay with that. What I would like to see, though, although I don't expect it to happen, if they do reboot it, I'd like to see the, the EU that we have be an alternate universe thing and to see that ongoing. It's not something I expect that they would do. Yeah. It'll I think be- that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah, it's a smart way to look at it because, like you said, you're not setting yourself up for disappointment. And I think a lot of fans kind of probably are a little bit. So it, it's yeah. definitely the smart way to go about it. Uh, you know, and I have characters I would love to see. I mean, I would love to see uh, the Luke and Mara story. I would love to have Jaina and Jag in it. Um, but, you know, realistically, I just don't want to be disappointed. So I'm trying to... Just keep an open mind about what we're going to be presented with. You know, I trust J.J. Abrams uh, because I, I was a 
huge Star Trek fan at one point, and I like what he did when he rebooted Star Trek. So, you know, hopefully the sequel trilogy is in good hands and it will honor Star Wars, even if we don't all get everything that we want from it. Well, thanks for uh, letting us interview you really quick there. It's always good to get to know some of these other, uh, you know, fans out there that are that are in the Star Wars Expanded Universe community. I think right now what we're going to do is actually we have a little bit of feedback that we got from a listener. And, uh, Teresa, I think uh, you're going to read that email for us. I am. So we got an email from one of our listeners. The name is Sandro George. And he said... Hello. Love the podcast. I'm a big reader and a huge Star Wars fan. I finished Into the Void and loved it. I know from the previous podcast that Teresa said she is more into the Old Republic and this is pre-Republic. I like that the main character is a strong female and can hold her own. I love that the story to me was gritty and the Jedi reminded me of Grey Jedi. Because they don't follow the light side dogma of the Jedi, they try to balance light and dark. When the comic series came out, I was so excited, and then when I heard of this novel, I pre-ordered it for my Kindle. I hope to see more novels from this time period as the comic series progresses. Keep up the awesome job with the podcast, and may the force be with you. So, first of all, I just want to say thank you for listening to the show. Number two, thank you for taking the time to send us an email and giving us your idea of how you saw um, Into the Void because, as you mentioned, I am a fan of the Old Republic, but that does include, for me, the pre-Republic era. So, you know, I really like what you had to say. And thanks for bringing up the Grey Jedi as well, because um, I really like that whole frame of reference and the balancing light and dark. So we really appreciate you sending us an email. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I, we've gotten a few emails from some other listeners, so... I wanted to just have this one read on the show, and hopefully we'll get some more good feedback in the future, and we'll continue to to maybe read an email here and there as as they come in. Definitely. Feel free to send us an email with anything that you'd like to say, and um, you know we may start doing that, having this section on the show where we um, mention the feedback from our listeners. So, Aaron, I know we want to. We always talk rumors, at least a little bit, because usually in between the time when we record our last show and we record the next one, there's some new rumor about something. And this time, it's all about Force Ghosts. Yeah, so. So recently we've had uh, some rumors swirling, and in my mind, a lot of people don't really like to get into rumors. I think it's fun. <laughs> I think it's fun to speculate and, and kind of pick up, you know, maybe try to figure out what we can we, what we can gather from different rumors that are coming out, and who knows if they're going to end up being true or not. But I think it's fun to at least talk about them. So the, a couple of the rumors that have come recently about Star Wars Episode Seven are that Ian McDiarmid and Ian McGregor are both going to be in the film, and it seems like they might be coming back as Force Ghosts. I just wanted to kind of just talk about that and see what you guys thought about this possibility and what it might mean for some of the, the storyline in the movie. Have you heard the, these rumors, Gerilyn? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm so down with the Ewan McGregor coming back. I, they could do anything they want with him. <laughs> I'm <just laughs> fine with it. Yeah, I, I second that. <laughs> 
throw him in there as anything you want to. He can just stand over there in the corner in the background. And like, really? I'll be good. <laughs> well, Have you guys ever seen the, um, someone uh, aged uh, Ewan McGregor up to Alec Guinness's age to make him look like, as Obi-Wan? And it was really amazing how much he looked like Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan. It's out there on the internet somewhere. You could probably Google it and find it. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I, I know there was a statue, I thought, that... I don't know if it was Gentle Giant maybe did one that was kind of like that. Where it was supposed to be kind of him aged up a little bit. But Yeah, this one's actually aged up quite a bit. Okay. Someone, you know, photoshopped or something. And it, it he could pull it off if yeah. they wanted to do the older Obi-Wan. Oh, so you're thinking maybe that they'll actually use him, use Ewan McGregor, but actually age him up to be the older version. Yeah, it's just really hard to say, you know. Uh, did he make a holocron on Tatooine that shows up somewhere? Or, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how much, like, these Jedi have control over how they appear when they appear as Force ghosts. You know, maybe he can actually decide... You know, if he appears to, you know, whoever in the future, maybe it's like Luke's son or something like that, that he wants to appear to him as a younger version of himself, you know, so they don't have to worry about aging him up. But, yeah, it, it is interesting because we don't really know kind of the right. rules, the rules of Force Ghost. We kind of know the EU rules, but we don't know the movie rules. Right. And the only thing I was going to say about um, a Sith being able to appear as a Force Ghost, if you're just going by movie even though this is the Revenge of the Sith novelization, Yoda tells Obi-Wan in the novel that only Jedi can learn how to be a, uh, be a Force ghost, that Sith are not able to because it requires selflessness. And that is in the novel, which is from the full script, you know, not what was cut out. So, so I don't know. What do you think, Teresa? Should a Sith be able to show up as a Force ghost? I well, I actually like the the stuff that came from the novelization that Geraldine was talking about because you know they do say that. But again, you know that's something that's said in a book and you know right. isn't necessarily what would actually be done in a film. I'm doing my quotey fingers, but y'all can't see them. So should I? Do I think they should be able to? No, because I sort of feel like the soul of the Sith, they don't really have one. And so if they were to die, that would probably be just the extermination of whatever is left of their soul. And so there's nothing left to come back. Yeah, I mean, as an Expanded Universe fan, I believe in the Old Republic like comics. Not Old Republic comics, probably more the, the Tales of the Jedi comics. I believe there were some Sith Force ghosts or spirits or whatever you want to call them. Um, and I know that George Lucas actually, I thought like in the Clone Wars series, they were thinking about having some, some Sith Force ghosts show up to Darth Maul. And then I thought George Lucas kind of like put the nicks on that because he didn't want uh, Sith Force ghosts. Did you guys hear about that? Well, you're kind of bringing something to mind now that I think I heard. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see if it if he actually does show up as a force ghost, 
Or maybe it's just something where they find a holocron or something where it's not actually a force ghost, but just an image of of Darth Sidious. Yeah, and I'm okay with the holocron idea. Actually, yeah, that does excite me quite a bit, that there could be that Obi-Wan could have made a holocron or that the Emperor made a holocron or whatever. Um, I'm actually excited about that particular concept. See, that- I-, I could see uh, some... One, finding a holocron, Palpatine's holocron, and learning to become a Sith from that. It, because to me, that squares with Anakin having fulfilled the prophecy. Um, whereas if you have the Emperor surviving in some form, that to me, and that's just my opinion, that negates Anakin's fulfilling the prophecy. Mm-hmm. So... So you have no great love for the Dark Empire comic series. Well, you know, I like them on one hand because in the way um, I viewed the Dark Empire was that the Dark Empire was Leia's hero's journey. Luke had had his, but Leia got hers in Dark Empire. But I don't like the idea of the cloned emperor at all. Yeah, actually, that was one of the first comics that I ever read as a Star Wars fan. And so there's like kind of a nostalgic feeling yeah. for, for that for me. So I actually really did enjoy them because to me that was one of the first things that I learned happens to these characters after Return of the Jedi. So I took that as canon, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But now a lot of people, you know, when I tell people that I really enjoy them, they're like, really? Like that's such a ridiculous story. And, it, you know, but I still kind of like to go back and pick those up. Um, but I don't think I would want to see that in the movies. I don't think I'd want to see him as a clone. Um, I kind of agree with you. That would kind of take away from what happened in Return of the Jedi. I'd be interested to see how they use him, or maybe if he's even in it at all. We don't know if these rumors are true or not, but if they did bring him back, um, I'm kind of with you guys. I'm kind of leaning toward maybe wanting it to be a holocron as opposed to something else. Yeah, agreed. So we all agree. Holocron, okay. Yeah. What about about Ewan McGregor, though? Would there be any... Do you think it, w- it could be an interesting storyline that he comes back as some sort of a clone of Obi-Wan Kenobi, like as a younger Obi-Wan Kenobi? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go away from my whole, like, logically thinking about this and say, I don't care. This <laughs> <is> a movie. <laughs> what would really be awesome, though, because I, w- I would love to see Ewan McGregor do another Star Wars movie as Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I hope one of the spin-off movies that they do eventually exactly. is there we him. Go. Make, yep. a, make a whole series of movies just about Obi-Wan Kenobi and have it be you and McGregor. Thank you. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I had actually heard something along those lines that he would be in the sequel trilogy, but he would also get a spin-off movie. And uh, I think he's made it pretty clear he would like to be involved. Yeah, that's that's really cool. All right, so um, the one thing that I did want to mention is uh, we had talk, talked before in our last episode about me and Teresa going to Dragon Con at the end of this month. Um, I will still be going to Dragon Con. We'll be there with the Star Wars Report uh, podcast, so uh, Riley and Bethany will be there as well. Um, but unfortunately, Teresa is not going to be able to make it, and I'll, and I'll let Teresa talk about that. 
Yeah, so I was really looking forward to being able to go to my first convention in a while, but I'm not going to be able to go now because it's one of those things. You have to be an adult and you have responsibilities, and those responsibilities are called work, even if you wish that you didn't have to work, but I don't have a choice. So because of that, um, I'm going to be staying home, but I will help to spread the word of everything that Aaron posts from Dragon Con. So I'll be pushing it out. Yeah, I'll try to I'll try to hit as many panels and live tweet as much as I can, and then uh, Teresa can retweet them from her job as she's angry that she's not there with me. <laughs> there you go. Basically, that is going to be the deal, but. We will make it a point to be at something together, and we'll have fun when we do it eventually. Yeah, maybe you can make it up to New York Comic Con, and I know we're definitely both going to Celebration. Oh, don't even get me started on New York Comic Con. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but definitely we'll be at Celebration, so if anything, we've got something set up for 2015. Let's see. That's a couple years from now, what do you think? <laughs> Well, I know Philly Comic Con, they have a yearly show, and they actually, I think they do free tables if you're a podcast. Oh, let's so do that. If you come, up to, if you come up to Philly Comic Con next year, we'll get, we can get a table and everything. Cool. Sounds good. All right, but if any of you listeners are going to Dragon Con, definitely look for uh, me, Riley, or Bethany from the Star Wars Report. Uh, we're all going to be there, and we'd love to, to see anyone that are listeners to the show. All right, so let's move on into our review for this episode, which is going to be Star Wars Crucible. And, Teresa, could you go ahead and give us the info on that novel? Sure. So the release date for this novel was July 9th of 2013. The author is Troy Denning, and the timeline for this book is 45 years after the Battle of Yavin. And the publisher summary is as follows. Han Solo, Leia Organa Solo, and Luke Skywalker return in an all-new Star Wars adventure, which will challenge them in ways they never expected and forever alter their understanding of life and the Force. When Han and Leia arrive at Lando Calrissian's Outer Rim mining operation to help him thwart a hostile takeover, their aim is just to even up the odds and lay down the law. Then monstrous aliens arrive with a message and mere threats escalate into violent sabotage with mass fatalities. When the dust settles, what began as corporate warfare becomes a battle with much higher stakes and far deadlier consequences. Now Han, Leia, and Luke team up once again in a quest to defeat a dangerous adversary bent on galaxy-wide domination. Only this time, the Empire is not the enemy. It is a pair of ruthless geniuses with a lethal ally and a lifelong vendetta against Han Solo. They will stop at nothing to control the lucrative outer rim mining trade and ultimately the entire galactic economy. And when the murderous duo gets the drop on Han, he finds himself outgunned in the fight of his life. To save him and the galaxy, Luke and Leia must brave a gauntlet of treachery, terrorism, and the untold power of an enigmatic artifact capable of bending space, time, and even the Force itself into an apocalyptic nightmare all right so we have finally made it to our crucible book review and uh crucible definitely could be said that it was one of those books that kind of divided the fan base you had a lot of the uh the sites that do reviews um didn't like it 
Oh, and there was some that did, but it seemed like the ones that didn't like it had very, you know, very strong opinions about why they didn't like it. I know for me personally, I wasn't a, a very big fan of this novel. For you guys, what side of the fence did you fall on? Did you did you like this novel or? No, I liked the book. Um, I th- thought it had a, a Star Wars feel to it, maybe a little uh, grimmer and uh, definitely the heroes got beat up a whole lot more, but I thought it had a real Star Wars feel to it, and I I liked it. I also thought it was kind of a really good uh, wrapping up to uh, this EU, if that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I also really liked the book as well, and um, it's probably one of my favorites that I've read that's, you know, in the post- Return of the Jedi era and everything. So I actually really liked it a lot. Although I will say that it was always, it was like high energy the whole time. And I kind of found myself getting tired, you know. It was very high energy. A lot happened in that book. Yeah, you you definitely can't say that there wasn't enough action in this book. There was plenty of that. So you guys both liked it. I didn't like it, so it it should be an interesting discussion to kind of figure out like what you guys saw that you liked so much and what I saw that I really didn't like. I would actually put this down as, I couldn't say it's my least favorite Star Wars novel that I've read, but it's pretty close. Like, I really just, it just, maybe it's because it wasn't what I was expecting it to be, and it was so different than what I expected, but yeah, we can get, we'll get into more of, of the details of why I didn't like it as we kind of go through it. But yeah, it just it just wasn't for me. <laughs> so basically, we kind of went. We were kind of talking about the the summary there, where Han and Leia are going out. They're helping Han, or they're helping Lando at his his mining facility. But before they go there, we get we do get a small scene of them at the Jedi Academy, doing some kind of I guess some training drills and things like that. Uh, we get to see some of the characters that we know from the the post-Return of the Jedi era, like uh, Jaina and Corrin Horn and uh, Jag. Uh, what did you guys think about this scene? And did you kind of, I know for me personally, I kind of wish they had shown us a little bit more of that. How did you guys feel about kind of how this book opens up? I really liked that scene. I thought it was neat to to have all the interaction with all of those characters and you know, that was part of the novel for me that was actually pretty lighthearted, and it, you know, it gave you a really good Star Wars feel, so I like that, and I agree with that. It would have been nice to kind of have more interaction with some of those other characters, but that's just not where the story went, but I liked it. Well, you know, first it opened up in the cantina with Han and Leia meeting Omad Keg, I guess, and then... Um, and I thought that was a really good opening setup that led into the uh, Jedi Academy scene, which I did really enjoy. And I liked seeing um, Jag have an actual job with the Jedi. And it kind of was uh, like, I kind of had the feeling that Han had kind of paved the way for Jag to really be involved with the Jedi because you have two non-force-sensitive spouses here. 
and yet they've depended on Han so much, and now they know they can depend on Jag. I mean, he's certainly proven himself. Yeah, Jag is Jag is a great character. He he's actually one of my favorites that has kind of lasted throughout uh, a number of the novels. I'm glad that he's stuck around. Um, yeah, I just had one little thing where um, oh, um, I'm blanking on her name now. Um, the Jedi that came to bring the message to Luke that Han had sent. Um, she's Sia, Sia Dorvald. And Troy had written in there that she was an apprentice. And I'm like, wait a minute, she was a Jedi Knight back in Fate of the, at the end of Fate of the Jedi. And then I kind of had this thought, oh no, I've become one of those fans, you know, picking out the little uh, itty-bitty discrepancies. But... <laughs> Those are the best kind of fans, right? <laughs> but yeah, so we were talking about some of the different characters that show up in this novel. I was actually really excited for this novel when I read the the Dramatis Personae. Like, I was excited to see uh, Tahiri was on that list, Ben, Jaina, uh, Vistara Kai, uh, Murta Gev. Like, all these names, I was like, wow, this is going to be a really cool book. They're going to have all these characters. But then really, at least as far as like Ben and Tahiri and Jaina go, they really weren't used very much at all in the novel. Um, were you guys disappointed at all by the lack of, of the use of those particular characters or, or not? I wasn't really in Jaina just because I knew that, I think I just had a feeling from that first scene we see with her that she's just not really going to be a part of this and that this book is really focused on Luke, Han, and Leia. I thought it was fun to have the little bit of Tahiri and Ben that we had, but I mean, it didn't disappoint me just because I just got this feeling from the vibe of the narrative that we were going to be looking at a good old Han, Luke, Leia, Lando kind of thing. Well, and it, it, especially because it had been pushed as the uh, Han, Luke, and Leia adventure. Yeah, I... I I like the little glimpses we've got we got of the other characters, but um, no, I wouldn't say I was disappointed. And um, I think we were still under the impression we were going to get sort of the Jedi at the time. I can't remember exactly when we were told that was on hold, but um, I don't think we've still been officially told. <laughs> well, true, yeah. I think it's it's kind of uh, you know based on some of the, the interviews that some different authors have had, like uh, Troy Denning and, and Paul Kemp, I know have recently both kind of said that they're in a holding pattern as far as the future of Star Wars goes, but I don't think Christy Golden has said anything, and I know Lucasfilm hasn't officially said anything about The Sword of the Jedi. I know the last official word we got from it was probably from New York Comic Con uh, last October was the last time they were officially talking about it in any capacity. Well, and I know in our interview with Troy Denning, he said that Del Rey had some really exciting plans after this, but that everything was now on hold because nobody knows what's going to happen. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's one of those book series that I I was really excited for. I really like the character of Jaina. Mm -hmm. um, I love the way that she's developed, and she's actually ended up being... I wouldn't say she's my favorite character, but she's probably in my top three favorite characters right now to read about. So when I heard that she was going to get her own book series, 
and the time period that it was going to be placed in, I was really excited for that. But yeah, it, it'll be very sad if we don't, if those never see the light of day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's kind of funny because of the, this is totally off topic from Crucible, by the way, but um, how the Her Universe shirt that came out that has Jaina Solo on it that was an exclusive for San Diego Comic-Con has the Jaina, like, sort of the Jedi um, imagery on the front, or on the shirt. Well, yeah, and it sold out very rapidly. Oh, too, I, so. I know. I was one of the ones that ordered it online, and then because of the glitch in their computer system, I didn't get my shirt. But in the beauty of her universe, um, they sent me one that was on my front doorstep yesterday, and I had no idea it was coming. It had a note inside of it that said, we apologize, and we would like to give you this shirt for free. Wow. For being customer we decided to make more of the shirt and you can buy them now they're you can buy them on the website but yeah they sent me one for free well that's nice well i don't know if you guys noticed but the sort of the jedi image is part of our banner over on roku depot oh yeah that's right yeah so hopefully hopefully we'll get to see those books and i mean i know that we're talking about crucible right now and not not the future (laughs) of the star wars expanded universe but it kind of ties in yeah. Because a lot of in a, in many ways, this is possibly the last Star Wars expanded universe novel, as far as in this like the furthest in the timeline that they're going to go before you know whatever they do, if it's going to be a reboot or if there's going to be some sort of a you know split where they have a multi multiple universes. We don't know, but this might be the last you know story that we get get from this particular you know universe yeah. or timeline, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And along with that, I will say, when I finished the book, one of my main feelings was that, oh, I really want to see this era continue, because I felt what Troy had done was, you you could take the book one of two ways, that he closed it out and he finished the chapter, or that he finished the chapter, but let it op- left it open for the new generation to take over. And that's, I, I, when I finished the book, that was my feeling. I really want to see this new generation take over. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get uh, toward the end of the novel. But um, let's talk a little bit about kind of the bad guys in this novel, uh, the Kreft brothers. I know for me, I thought they were kind of an odd, you, an odd bad guy to to have. For me, I'm very visual, so I like my bad guys to look cool. You know, I, I like them to seem intimidating. Not and and I'm fine with the whole intellectual bad guys, but I feel like you can still do intellectual and not necessarily make them look ridiculously weird. And for example, like something like Lex Luthor, he's an intellectual bad guy, but he still looks kind of like a cool bad guy as well. But the crefts for me, it was just like, they just looked so odd. I know you don't actually see an image of them in the novel, but they describe them. And then there are images that you can pull up, you know, on Wikipedia or whatever. And I just, from the beginning, was like, wow, these guys are just, I can't take them seriously. How did you guys feel about them as bad guys? Did they work for you? For me, I kind of had the same same feeling you did because they remind me of the bad guy brain thing from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Krang. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the image that came into my head is that they look like Krang. You know? 
and I was like, oh, that's so weird. Are they moving around in, like, this little, like, spider vehicle type thing? And that's not a fun imagery to have because he annoyed me. So, you know, I did think they were a little bit odd. Well, I kind of think they're meant to be odd, but, you know, they're not a new construct. They're from way back with some game or something. They were utilized again. And well, I think uh, they were actually a Troy Denning creation from back when he was writing for the games. I think Troy told us he couldn't remember exactly who created him. He thought it could have been him, but there were a couple of other people, and it could have easily been one of the other two. So he just didn't remember who created them because they were, like, having a brainstorming session. Um, I thought they were a little weird and bizarre, but I didn't really have a problem with it. In fact, I kind of thought... You know, here are these guys, if you took them out of their hover chairs or whatever they were called, you could drop kick them across the room, and yet they're so evil, you know? Yeah. So. I, I guess for me, it's kind of like in Star Wars, it's always been, I try to compare the books that I read to, to the films. I feel like the films are kind of the basis of Star Wars, and the feeling that I get from the films, I like to see that in the novels as well. And to me, like in the films... You have the weird alien creatures, but they're always kind of the background characters. You know, they're in the cantina or or whatever. But when you when it comes to the baddies, you know, Darth Vader, Darth Maul, Sidious, all of them, you never have this this type of a bad guy. And so I felt like it just kind of was so different and in my mind not cool. That was kind of my problem with them. I couldn't look at them as like Star Wars bad guys. They to me they were just a little bit too ridiculous. Oh, I think I was partly relieved that we weren't getting another Sith bad guy. I was like, ugh, you know. Yeah, and I agree with you. I wouldn't have wanted them to go there. But, you know, we've had other bad guys in, yeah. in Star Wars novels that weren't Sith, that weren't quite like this either. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of other examples of of bad guys that we've had in the novels that would be similar to this. And maybe, I guess you could come down to, like, Waru, maybe would be something that would be similar as far as just the strangeness. <laughs> the strangeness, yeah. Dare, because if, if you want to talk about a really brilliant bad guy, I mean, there's the classic Thrawn. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I would have loved to see an intellectual villain that they had to fight or go up against intellectually that was more on the along the lines of Thrawn, you know, as opposed to these weird, strange alien creatures that had some kind of weird fetishes and like to torture people. Yeah, but then Troy probably would have been accused of, oh, he's just writing Thrawn. He's just copying Thrawn. So, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like a no-win situation. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, but yeah, the Crefts, they're they're weird. But they did have, I guess, kind of. Uh, I guess we could go back to Teresa's example of Krang. You know, Krang had his shredder, so the Krefs had their kind of more typical bad guys, uh, which happened to be uh, Murtagev, who is a Mandalorian, and then also uh, Vestara, Vestara Kai, which they, they were trying to trick us a little bit, I think, by giving her a different name. But I, in the novel, as soon as they introduced her, they mentioned her scar on the side oh, of her that's... mouth, and I thought that was a complete giveaway, and why did they ever even give her a different name? Yeah, but you would only know that, too, if you've read a ton of books like we have. You know, like, if anybody hasn't read anything that involves the star in it, they wouldn't know. True, but, no, man, I feel bad for anyone who's read, who picked up Crucible and hasn't read the other novels because I felt like 
you almost needed a lot of that knowledge to really know what was going on. Well, not really, okay? I mean, think about it. Think about it with me. Like, I haven't read a lot of that stuff. I know who Vestara Kai is. I know what she looks like. I know the scar part of it, but that's because I've done, you know, research and stuff, and I think I've read, like, one book that she's in, you know, but I haven't read a ton of that stuff, and so... But like you said, you've done the research. There's uh, think about the the casual fan who goes to the bookstore and picks up this novel that has you know Han, Luke, and Leia looking old, and they're like, "Oh wow, I'm going to read this book." And they have no idea who Vestara Kai or or any of many of these characters are. I felt like this book kind of was working as a, a continuation of the Fate of the Jedi series more than it was a standalone. Well, right. I don't know. I just reread the book, and there really is a lot of backstory slipped in. So I think if it was your first book, or you hadn't read Star Wars in a long time, and you had a big gap, I think you could more or less uh, be okay with Crucible because there there is enough backstory in there. Well, to bring like, you up to speed with Crucible. Well, like, I know who Vestara Kai is, but I still don't know her entire backstory and how it relates to Luke, um, you know, entirely, you know, because I don't understand all of it, but I I have the basics down. It's the same thing with um, Murda Gev. Like, I realize she's been in other stuff, but I still don't know a whole lot about her either. But, no, I mean, I think there is enough backstory in there that you could go ahead and read the book and you'd probably be okay. You wouldn't know all the details and, uh, you know, the entire story. But I think you could get through the book. Okay. Well, one of the things that um, in this book, pretty early on in the book, there was there's a speeder crash where Han and Leia are, are in, the, in the speeder and are pretty severely injured. I think, did Han lose an eye? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yes. Han lost an eye. Which was pretty crazy, I thought, that they got that violent with these characters, and it kind of surprised me. But then as the book went on, it seemed like they just kept stepping it up a notch <laughs> like every other chapter. Where, I don't know, for me, that was a little overkill, like how much how much they kept doing that. It was almost like Troy Denning was given the, you know, hey, you can't kill them. As long as you don't kill them, you can do whatever you want. And he was like, okay, I'm going to basically do everything but kill them. Well, he said he would have refused to do the book if they had told him, well, you're going to kill the big three. He said he would have said no because <laughs> he's already got the rap that uh, yeah. he kills everybody. So it was a little bit it was it was a little bit much for me. Not that I didn't enjoy it. I did. But like it did bother me that Han lost an eye. It actually really bothered me. And I'm not sure why, just because I kept going through it in my head of like, so did they get him a new eye and from where did they get him the new eye and does it match his current eye and like does it mess up his face and like you know wouldn't that bother Leia because now it's not his real eye I don't know I went through this whole mental process related to the eyeball but just the amount of sort of beat him up violence that was in the book it caused me to have to literally put my nook down and be like okay I need to breathe so there was a lot of violence. There was, but you know, I kind of think that it it was done to juxtapose it against the last part of the book, which we'll get to later. Yeah, Not and sure. I mean, we can talk about that now. Um, 
because I felt like kind of at the end, and I know you said that he didn't want to write their deaths. It almost seemed in a way that he kind of did, and then they were kind of reborn in a way. Right. In the uh, in the whole monolith thing, which who knows if it was supposed to be mortars or not. Well, you know, uh, one of the things about all the injuries I wanted to say um, that came out in our interview with him was that Jen Heddle kind of kept urging him on to do more to the big three. So we have Jen to blame. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Shelly would be saying, oh, you have to scale it back here. And Jen would be going, no, you need to do more. You need to show more. So. <laughs> I mean, in, and I'm okay with, actually, the, when the whole crash thing happened at the beginning and, and Han lost an eye and all that, I was very surprised and actually kind of liked it because I like to think that that characters are in peril when I'm reading. It keeps me on the edge of my seat. And if that's kind of as far as they went with it, I would have been completely fine. But then it just seemed like they had another crash, like a ship crash with with, uh, Luke and Leia on it, and then they got injured really bad. And then you have the whole Han being tortured. Right. Like while he's playing Sabacc. And then the whole time they were in the monolith, you know, just all kinds of crazy stuff was happening to them. And I think it just kind of, as it continued to escalate, I, I almost got to the point of just kind of rolling my eyes, like, oh, seriously? Like, they're going to keep doing this? So I guess it was just too much for me, for my personal tastes. Well, but, I mean, it kept me interested, which was nice. Because it's, you know, stuff in this era doesn't tend to hold my interest as much as stuff in the you know, old Republic and pre-Republic eras, and Aaron, you know that. So I like the fact that it did keep me interested, and I, I like the fact that it kept me on my toes. Yeah. I kept trying to see, okay, like, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen now? So <laughs> so we talked a little bit about the, um, We it kind of came up as we were talking about that, but the monolith. Part of the story is the, the, the Kreft brothers are trying to break into a monolith that's, either Mortis or is similar to Mortis, they don't, they're not really clear. And I think even in interviews that I've read with Denning, he wasn't even really ready to say what it was. Um, I'm sure he kind of knows, but maybe he, he couldn't, he can't say yet. Uh, did he bring that up at all when he was talking to you guys, Gerilyn? Yeah, he did. And I honestly can't remember right now what he said about it. Um, I don't think he ever named it Mortis. You know, it's yeah. obviously a mortise type monolith, but, you know, my feeling was that I didn't really need to know, but that without uh, the ones there, maybe mortise had deteriorated to this state was kind of one of my thoughts about it. Well, I know a lot of people that when they read Fate of the Jedi... Some people kind of liked that they included Mortis, you know, brought in some Clone Wars elements and trying to tie everything together. Um, and then other people just felt like it was forced. I was one of the ones that actually really liked it. I, I thought it made it more interesting. That they... I did too. And Denning was asked to uh, bring it in when okay. he was uh, in the process of, of uh, writing the series. He was asked to introduce Mortis. And um, I think he said recently that Abeloth was actually Aaron Austin's invention. Okay. Yeah, I liked I liked it. I thought it was really cool. And I did like when they brought it into Fate of the Jedi, and I really liked the idea at the end of Fate of the Jedi 
where they're going to have this team of Jedi kind of trying to hunt it down and trying to find that dagger just in case they ever came up against Abeloth again. And I really like the idea of that kind of being an ongoing story, you know, maybe years for years to come, and maybe, you know, there'll be a payoff eventually, but I didn't want the payoff to be right now. So well, and the fact we really that they, didn't get a payoff. We, we didn't get a payoff, but it seemed like they found, you know, quote-unquote Mortis. I don't know if it was or not, or, and I feel like there, the intention was that it was supposed to be Mortis, but they weren't ready to say that. But I just felt like it happened too soon that they found it, like right in the very next novel that came out, if we're not counting Mercy Kill. Well, it's also an interesting thought if there are more than one Mortises out there. Right. And if you're looking at, like, I mean, even if you kind of tie it back into Dawn of the Jedi, and they have uh, the number of Thoyor, I think they're called. Yeah. You know, where something like that, where they might tie that in, that there's a number of them out there, and Mortis is one of them, and, and this one that they found in Crucible is a different one. I find it all very interesting. Um, the part I didn't like necessarily about Mortis, or I guess I'm not going to call it Mortis, but the monolith that they went into, in this one, it seemed like they took like the elements from from Fate of the Jedi that were kind of strange with the the font of power and, you know, the, I forget the name of all the weird places that they went to. But in this, it's like they took it up a whole nother notch. Like anyone that goes in there could become force sensitive if they gave their soul to the dark side. I don't know. It was just, (laughs) it was really weird. Did you guys think that it was super strange, like too strange? Or were you okay with all the weird stuff that was happening inside of this monolith? I think I was okay with it. I mean, I feel like if you're going to be in a place like that, things are going to be weird. Yeah, but like how weird? Because we're talking like Luke Skywalker has eyeballs in his throat, you know, that are blinking at people, and then Han Solo grows like a Wookiee leg. So, I mean, (laughs) it was just like, it was almost like Troy Denning was thinking like, what is the strangest thing that I can come up with? Oh, I I know. Well, you know... I had to read that part through uh, more than twice. Yeah, and I did. I stopped and went back. I actually and did. I'll say, Gerilyn, I know I, earlier I was saying I only read books once. I read that part multiple times because I was trying to understand it. Right, right. And um, I liked what Luke realized, that it was raw force power. Right. It, okay. So kind they're of raw, basically seeing unrefined force power. Yeah, I I mean, I guess it was just I, there was no basis, I guess, for what we were seeing. Like I have never they've never shown the force in that way before in any other Star Wars anything. And I know like in the Clone Wars, we got kind of a glimpse of of Mortis and kind of how strange the inside of Mortis was, but it never went to the point that this went to it was, this took it to a whole nother level. So well, that kind of goes back to my point of um, the ones balanced Mortis out because you had the son, the daughter, and then the father. But there's no entities here to do that, and which was kind of what made me wonder if this was Mortis without the ones present because they were gone. Would would it have reverted back to just this raw force? Right. 
And I would have loved to maybe get some of that kind of explanation, you know? Like if they had kind of maybe explained a little bit more about what this place was, um, I think I could have bought into a little bit more. But it, it, they left so much up in the air. And, and because this might, you know, there was no planned sequel to this or this is not the first of a three-book series, you know, this is supposed to be a standalone story that I guess I was left a little bit, you know, wanting. Well, I think... Maybe there was something planned down the road. We just don't know. Yeah. But I do like Luke's realization in the monolith. You you need the dark to balance the light, and you need the light to balance the dark. And he correlated it with birth and death. I did like that realization that Luke came to. Well, that's the thing I like about Luke, though, is that he's very present with the Force, and he's very open-minded and... You know, he's constantly learning from it, and he doesn't seem as closed off to it as maybe, like, say, a Mace Windu or someone like that. You know, he's he's open to understanding it, you know, and moving through it and sort of fluidly. And I think that really does help in this particular situation in a place like the monolith. Well, the other thing that struck me about Luke in the book, and this was through Vastara, because she definitely had a very healthy respect for Luke. It really hit me that Luke was his father's promise fulfilled. Luke could have been, Luke was what Anakin could have been. And it was kind of a neat moment because most, at most of, most parents want to see their kids be something more than they were you know that's kind of a natural wish that parents have I think and that was just something that came to me reading Crucible whether it was Troy's intention or not that's something I got out of it yeah one of the moments I did like um, when they were in the monolith was a moment where kind of Leia I guess kind of forgot everything Mm-hmm. And she was, I guess, in a way, it almost seemed like she was kind of, like, reborn. Mm-hmm. And then Han kind of watched her age and, and was kind of talking to her, like, telling her her kind of the history. And then he would see her age as the realization came back to her head. And just kind of remembering all that they've been through together and kind of seeing, I know this is kind of sappy, but just, like, the love that they have for each other. Right. That was like something to me that I actually really liked. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I've always liked Han and Leia's relationship, and I've always been really glad that the authors have just made that relationship stay strong but grow, and that they're a real partnership. Um, it's like Luke is a constant, and Han and Leia are a constant, and I think the authors have been really smart to keep them a constant. But I think the whole point of um, Crucible was, you know, rebirth and um, moving on, which is what the three, big three realized that was, it was something that was essential for them to do. This definitely ends in a way that you could, you could see them pushing Han and Leia and Luke kind of into the background now. And if they ever do continue with more novels, which I hope they do, you can see them kind of handing the torch off to, to Ben and, and Jaina and Jag and who, whoever else is out there. Um, 
and kind of having them now kind of sit back and be background characters. Yeah, see, I had kind of felt at the end of the novel they had set up a new big three pretty nicely, and that was Ben, Jaina, and Jack. You know, whether that's going to uh, come to fruition, you know, who knows. But Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I never even thought about the parallel there because, like you were kind of saying earlier, Jag doesn't, you know, he's not Force-sensitive. You know, he could kind of be the new Han. Uh, and then he's obviously in a relationship with Jaina, you know, so that would kind of mirror the Leia and Han relationship. And then Luke, you know, would or Ben would kind of be the new Luke as far as, you know, I think they're setting him up to kind of be the future, you know, leader of the Jedi. And but the dynamic would be a little different because Ben is still so young. Jaina is the true master here. And yes, uh, yes. I kind of like that Ben is young and he still has to learn. And uh, I know there was some talk about people didn't like Ben and Tahiri together. But I actually liked their interaction. And I think a lot of people forgot that it was actually Ben who saved Tahiri at the end of Invincible. They get so hung up on the scene in the beginning. And believe me, that scene creeped me out but that they forget that the dynamic flips at the end of Invincible and it's Ben who actually saves Tahiri. So to me it was kind of like, oh, they've really moved past what happened in Legacy of the Force. And Tahiri is now again a Jedi and Ben and Tahiri are able to work together. Yeah, I completely agree with you actually. Um, I know, like you were saying, a lot of people... You know, we're like, what? How can you have them working together after what she did to him or whatever? But, I mean, they're they're both adults. They've gotten past it, obviously. And I don't think anything of it, really, when I read them together now. I, I you know, I think Tahiri, I kind of see her in the way that she's kind of been redeemed. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not holding it against her anymore, you know, some of her past actions. I like that character. I like how complex she has been throughout the novels. And she's been through a lot of crap, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, with the, the use and Vong and all that stuff. So, she she's made some mistakes, and you know, let's get past it. But yeah, I didn't really see that being a huge issue as much as I know a lot of other people did. Well, yeah. and coming from an outsider's perspective that has not read Invincible, I thought that they had a good dynamic, and I thought their um, interactions between each other were actually pretty interesting pretty fun it seems like they worked well as a team so well you know. and i kind of like that tahiri kind of uh, zeroed in on omed kind of being a uh, younger han and so she really wants to meet this guy you know and she's kind of making a few remarks i that that just kind of amused me i got a kick out of that because i'd like to see tahiri move on past anakin it's been more than enough time I mean, I can't even move on past Anakin. So I don't... <laughs> Bring him back as a clone or something. No. <laughs> you know, Troy pl- uh, played with that. He, uh, he thought about bringing Anakin back via flow walking, and he just said it would have just opened up way too many problems, and he couldn't do it. Yeah, I remember reading in the Essential Reader's Companion... Um, they were talking about, or Pablo was talking about that in, I forget exactly the how it was supposed to work out, but there was going to be some sort of like a body 
change between Jason yeah. and Anakin, and Jason or Jason would end up dying, and Anakin would take his place, and you know that whole thing. And it it would have been a very weird way to go, and I'm kind of glad they didn't. But I, you know, I've always kind of wished that Anakin had lived, and I and I almost see Ben as almost a reincarnation of Anakin. Yeah, you know, he's he's a similar character, has a, a you know a lot of the same type of personality traits. And so I kind of see him as like, okay, he's my new Anakin. But yeah, I I was so sad when they when they killed oh. that character off. <laughs> oh, me too. Oh, me too. And I already knew he was going to be killed off when I read it. But I think you know the mantle was kind of passed from Anakin to Ben in um, Fate of the Jedi when he encountered Anakin in the lake. You know. Yeah. That that was kind of the way I felt. But anyway. Well, we've been talking about this for a while. Um, I want to wrap it up soon, but I know we haven't really talked too much about uh, certain characters. Some of the characters that were original, I guess, to this novel. Yeah, Omad Keg and that, uh, what was that girl's name? Oh, uh, Dina. 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 Dina Yees yeah. or something like that, yeah. Or something like that, yeah. Yeah, so... For me, those two characters, you know, they were kind of the original characters to the novel, other than the Crefts. They were just so forgettable. Like, they, were. they weren't, to me, characters that I could latch on to and say, oh, I hope to see more of them in the future. Um, how did you guys feel about those characters? I, um, I kind of liked Omad. I thought he was kind of a young, brash Han type. Um, I feel like we've gotten so many young, brash Han types <laughs> in the novels throughout the years, it just seemed like a, another similar character. You know, honestly, I'm just not that fussed about it. If I saw him again, I'd be fine, but if I didn't see him again, I'd be fine too, you know? Um, I thought Dina was kind of intriguing because of how she was constructed. I would agree with Darlin on Dina just because, you know, she, she definitely was um, being manipulated you know, and people do strange things when they're being manipulated. And, you know, I kind of like that she had that tug and pull of right versus wrong sort of thing going on. And I actually, I'm, I mean, she was forgettable to me. I probably wouldn't remember her a lot later on. But, you know, during the book, I thought it was, she played a good part. As far as Omad Keg goes, you know, there's something about Han Solo that is endearing. And there's something about the way that he talks and the way that he interacts and all of that kind of stuff. And maybe some of that comes from the films. But this guy, I kind of got to the point to where I wanted to punch him in the face and be like, just stop. <laughs> just stop. Like, it's cool that you think you're awesome and it's cool that you think you know everything. But I think some of that comes from he had this level of immaturity to him that sort of reminded me of the immaturity that I've had in my students that I've taught before. You know, where I just sit them down in the corner and I look, I go, look, it's time for you to stop. It's time for you to behave. Let's just get over yourself. You know, and it's just, that's just where I went with him from my own personal experience with people that had that personality. So maybe like, it has something to do with the fact that Han Solo is played by Harrison Ford and that's how we see him at the, you know, the very first time. It's that whole film thing. I don't know. I was thinking with the whole, the whole buyout thing that they that they introduced where they're growing these people around like this, I don't know, some kind of cybernetic innards. But they were actually using people's DNA to kind of reconstruct them, but like in different 
forms. So I actually thought at one point in the novel that maybe they were going to reveal that Omad was actually some kind of a amalgam of like Han and something else, you know, like that he was actually a Bayat. Yeah, except that in the pretty much, uh, you know, right, um, in the be- not beginning bit beginning, but it's the time of the of Han and Leia's first injury. They don't have their DNA because that's one of Dina's uh, tasks is to get their DNA, and that's when she does it. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Now, with Ahmad, uh, it didn't bother me because he kept getting put down, which I thought was really funny. Like, when he found out that he'd been, um, that the Mandalorian had totally cheated him out of everything in the Stayback game, and then, or Sabacc, and then uh, when he, he thought he was going to fly the Falcon in that, uh, I forget what they call it, but when you go towards the monolith, and uh, I think it's Lando that says, oh, sorry, you're not a Jedi, you're not the pilot here. So <laughs> he was brash and, you know, full of himself, but he kept getting put down, too, so I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and then I guess the one other character that we haven't really talked too much about is Vistara, and I guess we haven't really talked about Murta Gev either. I I actually enjoyed both of those characters in the novel. To me, they were kind of the true entertainment as far as the bad guys go. I just I couldn't get on board with the Krefs. so I was you know I was more interested in following those two. And I guess like with Myrta, she's a Mandalorian, and the Mandalorians throughout the novels have always been kind of like portrayed differently. Like sometimes they're portrayed as these these evil mercenaries that will just shoot you in the face. Literally, they you know they've done that, or They've been also portrayed as like kind of honorable warriors. Um, in this novel, more so, they kind of leaned more toward the direction of just being bad guys and not really honorable. Well, they're mercenaries. I mean, you know, I I didn't have a problem with their portrayal. I thought it was, um, you know, more accurate than some other portrayals we've seen. And then as far as uh, Vestara goes, were you guys happy to see her back uh, from the you know, Fate of the Jedi novels, happy with the direction that that character's going? Sure. I haven't read them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Gerilyn. Well, yeah, I did kind of like it, and the rationale kind of made sense that for some reason we don't know, she didn't go to the one Sith, and she wants to get back in with her own people, but she needs big leverage to get back in there, and I thought that uh, her motivations for working for the Kraft brothers um, were solid. And I I got a real kick out of her, and I got a real kick out of her biot. I was like, the way that Marvin programmed the biot, I thought it was so funny, you know, with the, oh, Marvin, <laughs> I died <laughs> for you. So weird, yeah. <laughs> it was weird. Those biots were all creepy, and we didn't even talk about creepy Leia. Creepy oh, Leia, creepy but, Leia. I know people had problems with him, with Han saying creepy Leia, but, you know, I just kind of think if you saw a biot of the woman you'd been married to for, you know, 40 years, that would creep you out a little bit. Yeah, I was fine. I, he was voicing yeah. what I thought, you know. It was yeah, exactly. creepy Leia. 
But, uh, yeah, I like Vistara. I like her character. And um, I, she's a real Sith, and I like that. I yeah. agree. I, I like her. I like what they've done with her as well. And I was kind of disappointed that they didn't kind of go more the one Sith direction. You know, they, they kind of skipped over that because it definitely seemed that was the direction they were pushing her at the end of Fate of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and they just kind of jumped back to her trying to get back into her own tribe. So I wonder what happened there. Maybe there's some side story we'll get in a Star Wars Insider or something where, you know, she did try to join them and it went all wrong. Well, wasn't Ship pretty dismissive of the one Sith? So it, at the end of Fate of the Jedi, it kind of surprised me that he said, well, this is where you need to go, because wasn't he pretty dismissive? I don't remember. I do remember that's where he, that that Ship was, you know, hinting that that's where he was going to take her. Um, but, yeah, I don't remember him being dismissive. I'm, I must have missed that at some point. Well, I think it was in... Um, I think it was in Legacy of the Force when Jag and uh, Jaina and Zek were going after Alima on the asteroid. Okay. And the the one Sith ended up being there, and they tried to capture Ship, and he more or less told them to buzz off. <laughs> He's like, you're not real Sith. That's right. That's basically what he said. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Um, you know, just kind of give your, you know, quick final thoughts. Um, we'll start with you, Teresa. Um, okay. Well, I did enjoy the book. I did think that it was well done. I liked the way the story was put together. I liked the verbiage in the book. That's always something that I look for is, you know, the way the sentence structures put together and whether or not, you know, it makes sense for me. Um, I like the development of the characters. Uh, I also think that this book is actually good, you know, I know, Aaron, you may not agree, but I think this book is good for people that haven't read a whole lot of, um, EU, like me, in this time frame, because you got a good dose of the characters that you know, you got introduced to some characters that you don't know, and it actually sort of opened things up saying, ooh, I want to know more about this, where can I find that? Um, so I think, you know, it did that very well. Um... I would like to see the story continue, but, you know, we'll see how that goes. And, yeah, I would recommend this to somebody, but I would have to recommend this to someone who's already a Star Wars fan as opposed to somebody who's not, because they would need to know some stuff. All right. How about you, Gerilyn? Well, I kind of agree with what Teresa said. I This would not be my first book recommendation for someone new to the EU. Um but I think if they had some EU background, they could go ahead and jump into this book. I liked it. It's a very fast read. It um, has a lot of action. Um, and I I generally liked how Denning wound up this era of the EU, if that is, in fact, what happens. You know, my preference, like I've said, is that the stories continue from here with the uh, younger Jedi. And uh, I also just want to add, I go to Goodreads a lot to see how things are rating there. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you guys... I do that too. Yeah. Because you can rate at Goodreads without having to write a whole review. And um, out of 242 ratings there, Crucible has an 85% approval rating. Like is well uh, ahead of dislike, so 
which I find is interesting. Yeah, I think it's interesting too. I think that the the people that didn't like it were definitely louder when it came yes. out than the people that did. And that tends to be the case with anything. Although I personally didn't like it. I I didn't dislike it as much as I know some others that that read it that basically, you know, say it's you know, it should have never been published kind of thing. You know, I think it was a fine story. It just wasn't my taste. There was too many things about it that were strange and the stranger things get and the less I can imagine it as an actual Star Wars film the the, the harder it is for me to accept um, and they, it just seemed like as the book went on it just got stranger and stranger and then at the very end you know with all the stuff that was happening in the monolith it was just you know completely off the wall for me uh, well, just, I think if they would have left out the eyes and the Wookiee leg. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> it probably would have been a little more and some of the palatable. detail, Some of the detail that, yeah. like that kind of detail, I was like, wow, the Force is, you know, that's the Force in its rawest form is like it just makes these weird, I don't know. It, it just was too weird for me. I couldn't see it as a Star Wars story. It started to become more of like the strange anime, you know, something <laughs> I would see, a, you know, a, a J- Japanese cartoon, you know, style. Yeah. Now we know the force is weird. That's the real the force, truth. Yeah, the force is is a weird, weird thing. So, um, yeah. So for me, it was just too strange. Uh, the violence level was too high, and the story wasn't enough to kind of make up for those things I didn't like. So all in all, I did not like the novel. But both of you guys did, which I think is great. You know, I love the fact that you know there's different opinions out there when it comes to Star Wars expanded universe. And I'm not going to say I'm right or and you guys are wrong. You know, I you know you obviously found something about it that you really enjoyed, and that's that's awesome because the more people that do like these books, the more chance that they're going to make more. So you know, I'm happy that exactly. there exactly. I'm happy that there are some people out there that really did enjoy this novel. Um, so that is our review for Crucible. For now, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. And uh, Teresa, if you could uh, let us know what are we reviewing in our next episode. Yay! On our next episode, which will be um, part of this month's episode that we split into two, uh, it will, we'll be reviewing the Collected Purge comics and Agent of the Empire Volume 2 Hard Targets. So that will be for our comic book fans out there. And for anyone that might have missed, we actually are, we're actually going to have three episodes this month. We, are, we had an interview with uh, comic book writer Justin Acklin as our first August episode. So if you guys missed that, I would definitely recommend, even if you haven't read his stuff and you might not have ever even heard of him, um, I would definitely recommend going back and listening to that interview because he had a lot of cool things to say kind of about how the process of, of writing the comics with Lucasfilm works. So um, I definitely recommend going back and checking that one out as well. Yeah, definitely. He's a, he's a really good guy, and it was really fun to interview him and have him on the show. So if you want to get in touch with us, and please do, you can find us on Twitter at SWBookworms. You can also send us an email. We highly encourage that as we're probably going to start reading emails more on the show. And that's StarWarsBookworms at gmail.com. Also, please like us on our Facebook page for the latest updates on Star Wars books and comic news because we post things there that we don't post other places and we have discussions on there with our fans. Um, and also... Please go to iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. It doesn't have to be positive, but we'd like it if it were, just so that um, you can help more Star Wars fans find us. 
And Geraldine, how can people find you? We're on Twitter at Roku Depot, uh, Facebook, again, Roku Depot, and then our blog, RokuDepot.com. Um, you can find me personally on Twitter at IceColdPenguin. And I'm on Twitter at AVGoins. So thank you for listening to this episode of Star Wars Bookworms, and may the Force be with you.